You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 271, Hope Johnson and Waiting for God to Answer Prayer. The waiting is the hardest part. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's uh, Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I'm always delighted that you have downloaded this show. Hey, if you haven't connected with Halfway There on social media, particularly the Facebook page for Halfway There, uh, you should do that. Maybe I know people, not everybody's on Facebook, but maybe you are, and if you are, uh, just go like the page because now you can actually listen to full episodes on Facebook right there. So it's another way to get a hold of Facebook or of, of the podcast. And if you want to, it makes it super easy to share, which is kind of what I'm excited about. Just hit that share button, share this episode, share another episode, and let people that you know um, know that this is a great show to listen to. So we'd appreciate that. Uh, absolutely. So thank you. Thanks a lot. We have a great conversation today. I'm excited about some of the things that we're, some of the stories that we're going to hear and topics we're going to talk about. Um, our guest, she's a writer and a podcaster based in upstate New York. And uh, she's the host of a podcast called Hope Unyielding, mm-hmm. where she shares, uh, people share stories of God's faithfulness in the dark and difficult times of their lives. I, that sounds a lot like what we do, which I, I love. Our guest is Hope Johnson. Hope, welcome to Halfway There. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. I'm so glad to have you. And uh, we, we connected through Christian Podcasters Association. And uh, I I saw that this is what you're talking about. And as you can tell, it's something that I love to talk about as well, because I think whether you call it the dark night, the spiritual desert, whatever it is, God really uses those seasons. And it's important for us to tell those stories. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, that's kind of a broad introduction for you. Tell me a little bit more about kind of who you are and where God has you right now. Sure, sure. So I am a writer at heart and I am currently in upstate New York. I work as an academic advisor at a local university, um, but I have been writing since I was in junior high school and it's, it's I feel, one of my callings. Um, recently, I started a podcast about a year ago, and this podcast, Hope Unyielding, stemmed from um, my desire to put out a book on the same topic. And, you know, when I talked to an agent about it, she felt I didn't have the right platform. And a friend just said, you know, Hope, you can tell these stories of people who've gone through these difficult situations and come out of them praising God through a podcast. So that's how I started that. And I've been really amazed at where God's taken it because I never thought I would be doing this. And I've had so many people on my show whose stories have blown me away and have really just solidified my confidence in God's faithfulness. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how that works, right? You start to hear some of those stories and then you're like, oh yeah, okay. That's, that's, uh, that's what God does. And it kind of boosts your own faith. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, okay. So, um, so you're, so you're an academic advisor and you write, so that's good. And you're working, are you working to publish a book? Is that what you're working on? I have something in the works. I'm at the very beginning stages, but, um, I do, I do. I haven't pitched it yet. Okay, great. So you're writing it. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, cool. Well, I, I, I think that's great. So let's dive into your story. You're in New York now, but you, it sounds like you're maybe not from there. Where, where are you from there? Or where are you from? No, I'm originally from Maine and I have ah. been throughout my twenties. I just turned 30 uh, a while back. I was all over uh, after college. I was in Russia for a year, which is where a lot of my, I would say my growth in my faith happened. Um, I was back in Maine, then I was in Georgia and then I moved to New York. Okay. So I think you might be the first person I've ever had on the show from Maine. So that's cool. Oh, great, okay. Right? Like that, that's cool. What so what's tell me what it's like there. What was it like growing up for you? So I I had a wonderful childhood. I had an unusual childhood because my dad uh, was a professional magician illusionist and he would travel over the state, all around the country 
and I learned to juggle at a very young age. And when, when there were shows around the state, I would go and we had a juggling routine. I would be his assistant. It was, and I was homeschooled. So I was around my parents a lot and I, I just, I loved my childhood so much, um, have a lot of good memories. And from a very young age too, I think because my dad instilled that, um, I guess, public nature of things in me, like I've always felt really comfortable on stage and in general speaking. So that was a really cool skill to gain as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, that's, that's like the one fear most people have, right? So you get, if you can get over that when you're young, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. That's very Yeah. Yeah. And so you went around traveling around with your dad. That's, that sounds pretty neat. Well, did you have a favorite, uh, a favorite trick? Yeah. Okay. He has one, it's like Russian roulette, but with a stapler gun and oh, no. he puts the state, the, like the staple gun to his head and it, he never, he never gets, gets the staple in the head. So that's a really cool one. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Uh, yeah. Someday I'm going to corner a magician. I'm just going to make him tell me how all those things work, but that's. uh... Yeah. I was so good at not telling secrets. I was so proud that I was loyal to the secrets because we did, we did, he did tell us some of them, but we just, it was family code. You don't tell. Right. See, that's, that's what I was wondering. Is it kind of like a thing, you know, only the magicians get to know, but okay. So you get to learn a few. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I bet that, I bet that was really fun as a kid. Oh, it was so much fun. Um, And just the traveling. That was really fun. I love these oh, trips yeah. with my dad. Very cool. That sounds like he was a, a good influence. So, so tell me about, um, like, was it a Christian family? Yeah, yeah. So my parents were really great examples. Um, like I said, I was home. I was homeschooled until fourth grade. So, you know, I saw everything. You know, I saw disagreements. I saw my parents work through conflict. I saw my dad praying. You know, he would... Um, almost every day he would have his quiet time and I would see him kneeling by the couch. So I just, my parents really set a great example for me of what faith looked like in action, because I saw that they definitely weren't perfect, but they really loved Jesus and they wanted me to love Jesus too. And I, yeah, I would just say it was, um, it was a really, really positive experience growing up. And it was when I was about 12 actually that my dad encouraged me to take my first step in trusting god so i um he was going to be the mission trip leader for a trip to russia and he uh, through my church and he came to me and he said hope i want you to pray about whether god would have you go on this trip which is kind of funny because you know dads are protective and my dad was especially protective so bring your 12 year old daughter to russia but for some reason, he came to me and I went away and prayed about it. I don't remember going back to him, but apparently I went back to him and said, I feel like God wants me to go. And I didn't want to go. I do remember getting on that plane and being like, what am I doing? All I've heard about Russia is terrible. But it was it was that stepping out in trust that completely changed my life. And when I got there, everything changed. And long story short, I've been to Russia six times, Belarus three times, and it's it's just oh, wow. a part of my heart. Oh well, okay. So take us into that a little bit because that's an interesting uh, dynamic. What happened on that trip that kind of made you fall in love with the with the people there? I'm I'm not quite sure I can put my finger on it, but there was just a sense of camaraderie with these other kids who we couldn't speak the language with, but we were able to somehow communicate. And then it it slowly, it wasn't just that first summer where it was Mm. an epiphany of like, oh, I need to be a missionary in Russia. It was more, I went back home. I went the next summer when I was 13. And when I came back, I had this desire to learn Russian. And I kept thinking, I need to go back. I need to go back. And So I started learning Russian, I took lessons, I taught myself, and it was just this kind of slow build of like, I have something for you there, Hope, and just just following the lead. And again, it's it's hard to place my finger on what I love about Russia, but I just felt home there. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so that kind of kind of blossomed, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. I'm I love that your dad kind of asked you if you should pray about that, right? And kind of put that in your mind and, and set that in a kind of a trajectory. You know, you never know about that kind of influence, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, where where those things are going to go. Um, okay, so you, it sounds like you've been back. Did, did you actually learn Russian? Yeah, or, yeah, I speak Russian. Good. That's that's good. Um, so where? So tell me about. I want to know about. It sounds like those are sort sort of some steps of growth for you. Uh, tell me about kind of trusting and how your faith became your own after growing up in this, you know, Christian family, set this great example for you, but how did it become for you really yours or how'd that develop? Yeah. Yeah. So in a sense, you know, I, I hear that phrase, making your faith your own a lot. And it's funny because I always, I always feel like it was my own in a sense. Um, as a young child, I was one of my earliest memories. I remember going away by myself and having a quiet time like my dad did, but it was very real. And I, I felt God's presence with me. Um, I will say I didn't understand everything yet. Um, sure. It was probably in high school. I, I went um, to a Christian school that unfortunately had a lot of problems in terms of politics and the way the parents were treating the kids. And I really had to separate God um, from people and from people who were professing Christ. And that was probably the hardest, the, one of the, the hardest spiritual hurdles I had to get yeah. over because I had adults who were saying things to me and doing things. And they seemed so opposed to everything that Jesus stood for. And it, it was, it was a lot of wrestling. Um, so I would say through that, I did have a lot of support. Um, my parents did see what was going on and there were some other parents that saw what was going on, but I had to, and looking back on it now, I, I see that it was even worse than I, than I thought as a 16 year old girl, but, um, yeah, I just had to separate God from people who were making big mistakes, you know, whether it was un, it was intentional or not. That's a tough lesson, and that's probably a good one to learn as a as a kid, though, right? Like, oh yeah. Because, like, I think a lot of us are learning that right now. I don't know if you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, but boy, that's a tough one, right? Yeah. Like to to listen and go, oh, people, okay, but then separate that. Okay, there's people's actions versus versus God, um, and what He's about in the world, right? They're not always the same thing. Yeah, no, I've been listening to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and I've, I've had the same thoughts. I'm thinking, man, this sounds a lot like what happened at that school. And it's right. been it's been hard to listen to, but I think it's so important that that there's reporting on this, um, because I do think it's bringing, bringing stuff to light that we need to work on as the church. And hopefully it's going to going to lead to a lot of healing. Yeah, 100 percent. Okay, so that sounds like it was kind of a struggle for you as well. I'm sure that took a little bit of time. Um, where'd you go? Where'd you go after high school? So after high school, I went to Gordon College. I oh, yeah. majored in linguistics. I had studied Russian up to that point. The last um, quarter of my senior year, I spent with missionaries in Russia studying the language, and so I just kind of kept on that track. And I was like, I love languages. I want to do something with this. I was thinking missions. So I spent those four years at Gordon College. I loved it. I made one of my lifelong friends who I'm actually now living with again, which is which is kind of funny coming full circle. Yeah. And um, I, the year after college, I got a grant to go teach English in Russia. And this is really where my story got difficult. Um, I had, I had already struggled with depression some. So in at the beginning of college, um, I realized that what I was feeling, the, the sadness that I was feeling wasn't just being overwhelmed or stressed. And I, I ended up going to the counseling center and working through some stuff, but I wouldn't say it was severe, but I was put, and we, we couldn't decide where we went in this uh, program. And I was put in the middle of pretty much nowhere it was the Republic of Tatarstan. So it's an Islamic Republic within Russia. And I was an English teaching assistant um, and I was supposed to be helping in the classroom and they gave me a whole load of college courses to teach. So I was 
I was um, away from home um, in a place where I could not find any belief, uh, like a believing community where I felt at home. Um, and then I just was uh, like, there was culture shock and there was this university system to learn. And I was 22 and I was teaching college classes. So it was just is, all- Is this after college? This was, yeah, this was the year after okay. college. Gotcha. And that's a lot of courses to probably teach anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a lot. Okay. So, so you're teaching and you're, and you're kind of noticing that you're struggling with a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell us how that, how they go down, how they get resolved. So, okay. So it was, it was very intense from the get go. So I started out, I would, so just a, a story to kind of paint the picture. Um, I, didn't uh, the, my contact from the university dropped me off at my dorm room and he said, okay, I'll see you on Monday. It was two days later. And I'm like, I don't know how to get to the university. So he said, he'd pick me up, but I had two days in between. I knew no one. I had a key. I didn't know how to get wow. anywhere. I didn't have, um, internet in my room and I didn't know anywhere where there was Wi-Fi. So I set out into the city to try to find Wi-Fi. And I, you know, I got lost. Um, there was one place, one little coffee shop that I, I believe God led me to where they had oh, Wi-Fi. I was able to call home and I started crying. Um, somehow made it back to my dorm. There was a lovely lady at a store who helped me, which is actually pretty unusual there because um, I would say people tend to be a little bit more suspicious of foreigners. Um, and I made it back, but I think that just gives a picture of what my beginning there was like. I was completely alone. I was completely overwhelmed. Mm. So my mental health pretty, uh, quickly took a dive and I was in, like, I could hold it together at the university. I was great at, at putting that on and I genuinely loved my students, but I would go back to my dorm room and I would just crumble every night. I would feel completely trapped, um, I couldn't leave and that I, and that I had absolutely no one. So that's how it started. Um, so when something changed, I, it was actually, um, one of my good friends. Now she had a dream about me. Um, she, she's not a believer. Um, she's Muslim and she was a secretary at the university. It turned out that, um, like I was having a problem with my paycheck and she, I'd never met her. She's like, Oh, let me help you with that. And it turned out we, then we started talking, we clicked, then we're like, let's go get dinner. It turned out that the night before she had had this dream about me and I was in trouble and she had to help me. And so she told me if I hadn't had that dream, I wouldn't have helped you. So it was, I thought that was pretty amazing. And I thought, Lord, I've been praying for a friend. I've been praying for help. And you brought this girl into my life who, it was one of those friends where you feel like you've known, known that wow. person your whole life. So, and through that relationship, I was able to share my faith from beginning to end. And she had never heard, heard it before any of it. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I love how God does that. Like you pray for a friend. It's not like he, connects you with the next, uh, you know, missionary next door or whatever. It's like, he gives you, he's like, okay, I know, I know somebody and gives mm -hmm. you, gives you a Muslim friend mm -hmm. to share your faith. And probably I'm guessing that expanded your understanding a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, I mean, I, it was, it was hard for me to see that she didn't, under understand what I was trying to get across, but I believe like, you know, we plant, we plant seeds and then, you yeah. know, God brings the harvest and yeah. And, and in terms of understanding, yeah, this was probably one of the, my first Muslim friends and I learned a lot from her and I learned also about her view on Christianity and what she knew about it and what misconceptions she had. And we were just able to have these open conversations. Yeah. Well, like what, like what, what surprised you about what she thought? Um, the only exposure she had to Christianity was a very legalistic, almost cult-like group that some family members of her, hers had gone away to. 
And these family members completely shut themselves off from their Muslim family and friends and were like, we pretty much, we shun you. We have nothing to do with you. So that was her only context for Christianity. I would say the other thing is in Tatarstan, it's about 50% Tatar, which are culturally Muslim, 50% uh, Russian who are culturally Orthodox. And the sense there is they're so proud that they're tolerant of each other. Um, and there's definitely a sense there among many, especially the younger generation that, you know, all roads lead to the same place because every religion has the same core. So I found a lot of that among the younger the younger people as well. So that was another thing of like, oh, that's so sweet that you have that faith. You know, it, there wasn't a lot of hostility towards it, but it, it wasn't, it was kind of like, you have your faith, I have my faith. Like they're mm -hmm. all, they're all kind of good things that we can have in our life. They gave you like a Southern bless your heart kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, I had to look up Tartar stand to see. Uh -huh. what it is. Okay. Very good. That's a part of the world I've not given very much thought to, but pretty interesting. So, okay. So that, that's, that's very fascinating. I think we, we have this American Christians. We have this kind of weird thought that like, like everybody knows, like everybody has this idea of what Christianity is, is like. And, uh, it's just not the case. So getting around the world probably probably open open your eyes and you kinda had been there before. So interesting. Okay, so how so you were you had this friend now, how'd that change? Did that help you or did you kind of continue to struggle with with mental health issues? So it really it really helped me, but I continued to struggle. So I would say it was one of those like huge graces that God used to allow me to get through um, the time that I was there. And as I look back, I have so many like wonderful memories with my students, but it was um, in, you know, depression runs in my family. I think we're genetically predisposed towards it. So we're very sensitive, I think, to certain triggers. And even though I had a friend now, I was still in a foreign country. I was still adapting to a completely new foreign job and I was away from my support system. So, um, I still struggled and, you know, actually, even though I had my, my friend um, over Christmas break, I met up with my, my parents in, in England and I like looked at my mom and I was like, mom, I'm not mentally well. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then my parents both said to me, you don't have to do this. And then I said, I'm not going to quit. So I was, was convinced that this was not something I should quit. And I made myself go back and like, ironically on the way to the air, to the Heathrow airport, the, the, the song back, back in the USSR was playing. And I was like, hmm. this is a weird soundtrack to my life. And I don't want to go back, but I did. And God brought me through it. Um, when I got back to the States, things were not rosy. I actually ended up having some pretty serious health problems because my body had been under so much stress. So the year after Russia was spent um, with a lot of rest, a lot of medical intervention and a lot of counseling. Um, mm. So I wouldn't say, yeah, it, it wasn't it, like, I think with depression, you don't just flip a switch and there's not, it's not linear either. So you can, when you struggle with something for so long, so it's been in my life for a long time, you can have really good seasons and then you can have difficult seasons and it doesn't necessarily mean you've regressed. It just means it's a different season. And um, it's a time to um, one, like take God at his word, even if you don't feel that way. And the more that I go through these kind of cycles, the more I see I can take God at his word. Um, and it's okay if I don't feel a certain way. Yeah. What was your plan? So you went over there to teach and did, were you planning to be there for a while or what were you expecting? So <laughs> the reason I went over there, man. So when I started college, I had a very specific plan for my life. I wanted to meet a guy who wanted to be a missionary, get married and be a missionary with my okay. husband or be in ministry. And I didn't think it would be all that hard to meet someone at a Christian college. And that was kind of my goal, you know. And I always did really well in school. I liked what I studied, but I had never thought of a career. 
I never wanted a career. I was one of, I, I was one of, I think, many women in my generation who um, really wanted, um, you know, to be a wife and a mother above all and to be in ministry. So that was kind of my plan. And then, um, you know, through college, I went on one date and nothing happened. And I, but I, but I couldn't kick Russia. I'm like, God has something for me in Russia. So I applied for this grant and I ended up getting it. And I thought, you know, I don't know what's going to come of the rest of my life, but um, I'm thankful I have this year and I can't look any further than that. So that's how I got, I didn't have a five-year plan because my five-year plan hadn't worked. Okay. Right. Cause you, okay. I got that. So you were, yeah, you went to Gordon. There's gotta be some good guys there. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Just not the one for me. Not, yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So, so then, so then what'd you do? Like what, where'd you go after that? After you came home? Um, so I, you know, during my time there, I had never expected to teach. And my dad was always saying, Oh, hope you should teach. You should teach because he, he has his degree in education. And he's a teacher at heart. And he saw that in me. I was like, dad, I'm never going to be a teacher because I always had this thought of being a classroom teacher and having a hard time managing children. But when I taught college students, I loved it. I loved it so much. So I, I came back and I decided I still don't quite know what I want to do, but I think I know, I know that teaching English is a great way to use who God's made me to be in the giftings that he has for me in a way that I can build relationships with students. And, and I just want that love, the love of Jesus to just flow over them, you know, in, in word and in deed. So I went for my master's degree in teaching English uh, to speakers of other languages. I did it mm-hmm. online through Biola University. I ended up moving Um, back in with my parents and I worked at the University of Maine at their International Study Center. And that was another crazy door that God opened because I, I went to the director and I'm like, you know, I'm starting my master's. Could I observe? And he ended up giving me an adjunct position. And he said, oh, as long as you're going for your master's, you can teach here. It was crazy how it happened. And then I ended up going full time there Um, so that's how I started. And then from that time on until this, uh, job working as an academic advisor, where I'm working with American students as well, I worked mostly with international students. Um, I, you know, it went way beyond Russia to the whole world. And I have so many wonderful memories of my interactions and one-on-one conversations with those students. And there are so many opportunities to naturally share who Jesus is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So even though you weren't, maybe you weren't going overseas, the, they were coming to you in, in many ways. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which I think is increasingly common, right? I think we've got right now sort of an immigration refugee crisis happening. Certainly I know our church is helping a bunch of people from Afghanistan who've been located in Denver and we look at it that way. Like, Hey, we can't go there, but we can, they're coming here. So we'll, we'll help them. Um, interesting. So, okay. So you're doing that, you're teaching and that, and that's all good. Um, where's God for you in all this uh, during this time? Hmm. Um, there was a lot of wrestling because I felt like in a lot of ways, God had, a few things like God had given me the gifts, the gift I didn't ask for. Um, and I also felt kind of like I had slipped through the cracks because I'm like, God, I don't want to be doing this alone. I see that you've, I taught at uh, Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia, and I got a job as um, a professor in their um, ESL department at, at 26. So pretty young. It was this really nice job. And I just remember thinking, like so many, so many people would, would be so excited about this, but I'm not like, this isn't what I prayed for. This isn't what I wanted. I wanted to be, I didn't want to be doing this by myself. So there throughout my twenties, there is just a lot of wrestling because there's so much good. And I saw God working so much. And yet there was that question of, Mm. I'm seeing you work in these ways, but I'm not seeing you answer the desire of my heart. Um, And I don't understand because I see you doing it in other people, but it's not happening. Which is what? 
um, I, I want to be married and be in ministry with my husband. Yeah. I don't want to be doing it by myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is difficult. And so this is one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you because uh, it's hard for the, in the church to be a single person, right? What, what has that experience been like for you? I have had so many varied experiences in different places. So I would say the church that I'm at right now, I love it. And I feel embraced and respected. Um, I'm part of a small group with that's uh, has some married couples of varying ages. And then there are a few single people and I feel, I feel really good. Um, but there have also been times where I definitely feel as though I'm, I'm treated, um, I'm, like I'm, I'm not as mature as someone else because I'm not married. Um, I had, you know, just as an example, this is a, a friend of mine. She's a bit younger than me, but, um, she said, as soon as she got married, she started getting invited to a lot more things <laughs> at the church. Um, couples started to invite them over and there is a sense to, um, where you kind of get like a pat in the head or there is a specific ministry for people in that age group. When I think as a church, we should, there, maybe there's a place for that, but we should be interacting with people of all ages and places in life. And, you know, I, I do, I don't use the word stages. I think stages is a word that is used a lot in the church. And I think stages implies progression mm-hmm. as though you're progressing from single to married. And I just wish everyone in the church um, who's married would realize, you know, there, we, we have a lot to learn from you, but there's also a lot you could learn from us. So I think, I think I've experienced um, some cases where it's kind of like, you're single, let us teach you um, because we know more than you when that's not necessarily the case. Right. Yeah. There's almost this assumption, like you put that very well, that, that you're not really, I'm trying to think of the right word, not really a full human being, right? Until you're, until you're married or you're not really a full participant until, until you're married. And, and that's just, it's a, it's a misunderstanding of the human person, which is one of my hobby horses, right? I think as a, as an evangelical, we just have this really tough view of of humanity that needs a lot of tweaking and so this is this is one of those places i think for sure um okay so yeah it sounds like you've had some good experiences and some and some bad experiences and you mentioned earlier that you were struggling with the lord with it in some ways like what's that what's that been like for you struggling with the lord with that like in and where where are you with it now well i'd say you know it's it's always still a struggle but, but God, but God is faithful. Mm-hmm. Like God is faithful. Like I, I'll just give an example of this, this podcast that I started. So it came off the, like, I guess at the end of, of kind of a hard breakup where I was hoping, you know, that this was going to be the guy and it wasn't. And I just turned 29 and I thought, you know, like, Lord, where are you in all of this? And it was at that time, um, I did really surrender and God started, um, bringing all these writing opportunities into my life and inspiring this podcast and bringing all of these guests onto my show who showed I was in this really difficult place and God was faithful and I felt his love. Um, so I would say I'm still struggling with it. Like there's no doubt about it. There again, like I've used the word linear a lot, like it's not linear. So I ended up, um, writing like a short ebook about what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. And one of the things that I, you know, I came to was we, we have everything, like God says, we have everything we need for life and godliness, but that doesn't mean we're always going to feel satisfied. Um, I've learned to sit with not feeling satisfied and not making myself feel guilty about it. So Mm. the, the best way I can think about to describe it is I, once read this article about a woman who had Prater Willie syndrome and she uh, just had a genetic flaw that made it so she was always hungry it didn't matter how much she ate she needed or she felt like she needed to eat more and i think as christians it's very similar we know that we're full we know jesus is the bread of life but in this you know on the fall this fallen earth 
there is the flaw of sin, and we're not going to fully understand that this side of heaven. So that's something that um, I really sit with. And, but I will say, you know, I wrote that ebook and then I felt kind of like I reached this pinnacle of like, okay, I get it. And then, you know, you go through another hard time with it. It doesn't just go away. If it is, you know, it's the same, I'm sure with chronic illness, you know, you, you ha- still have to live with it, even as you're walking with God, even as you're seeking him, even as you're learning to say, um, you know, even if this isn't something you have for me, I'm going to follow you. And I just always go back to, to Peter's words of, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. That's what I always come back to is if I got what I wanted, but I didn't have Jesus that like, there's no comparison. So I am more than willing to sit in that disappointment and have Jesus than to have the alternative, Yeah, which is, I mean, that's in itself beautiful. I love what you said, learning to be comfortable with being unsatisfied, right? Doesn't that like, as a, it just kind of grates on me. Like, I don't want that to be true, right? We don't want that to be true, but sometimes it is true. We, you know, we, for instance, we, in my family, we lost uh, my, my wife's sister last week and, uh, and that's, you know, death sucks, right? Like, I don't, I don't like it. It's not something that I'm, that, uh, I want to, I want to deal with, but there's, but there's a sense that, okay, you have to, you have to, that uncomfortableness, right? is something that can lead us to the Lord. It's something that can lead us to being, and I think Jesus even wrestled with that, right? I mean, in the, in the garden, he was very clear with God about his unhappiness with where this was, the road was taking him. And that's, so it's not unique to us. I mean, if he has to go through that, then what, what do we have to go through? But, um, man, so that's, that's really interesting. So one thing that dark night or those kind of struggles will do is it will reveal things about who we are and identities that, we actually have to let go. So is there, is there something that God's shown you that you've had to kind of let go in, in kind of your identity um, or maybe something else he's replaced it with that, that stands out to you? Hmm. Um, I would say um, I think in terms of identity, maybe it's more of the desire for human approval or not being rejected, having to realize that it's okay if I'm rejected by people and that my identity is not in the acceptance of a person. And that's something I'm, I'm learning daily, but, you know, going through your, you know, all your twenties and seeing other people get chosen or choose each other, and then going through a lot of dates or relationships and having it go the opposite it's very easy to to feel as though my identity is as some as is as someone who always gets rejected and it's easy to sit in that place and to sulk and to say um like why am i the one that this always happens to yeah. but i god's been really working with me on that i think probably for the last year or so and there is one there's one episode I did in my podcast and it was called stop auditioning for love. And I just share about the many years that a big part of my identity was that almost posture of being like, I'm always someone who's rejected and I have to prove myself. And God's just been stripping that away and saying, no, you don't have to prove yourself. I love you. And that's enough. And and, and you can be content in that, you know, and that's way easier said than done, but that is an understanding that God's brought me to. Yeah. Well, that's so good to stop auditioning for love. Like that's just, I think we're taught to do that, right? Like that's just such a, such a ingrained thing in our, in our culture, but being comfortable with who you are is also very powerful. Okay. Well that, see, I think that's, that's really amazing. I, th- I, I'm, intrigued by the whole process. Okay. So I'll tell you why my wife and I, we were, we were high school sweethearts. that story, high school sweethearts, right? Got mm-hmm. married really way too young before we could even drink. And like, that was dumb. Like, it's just, it's, it's, we, we love each other, but it is, it's hard to grow up with somebody. So we don't, we have the exact opposite experience. Right. Um, but 
I also walked with my cousin who didn't get married till his mid thirties, maybe, maybe late thirties. And so like, and I know that for him, it was very, very difficult to go through all of that and to find, we have long conversations about churches and the way pe- the language that people use and the things that, that people say, um, and just how tough, how tough that was. Um, what, what are some things like, it, it, I, I love your perspective on just, you, you've wrestled with it very deeply and I think that's amazing. What are some things that you would advise maybe churches to do? Like what, like, and maybe, uh, and then speak maybe also to, uh, other people out there who maybe are ready to get married, but they're not in a place to do that or what for whatever reason. So that's two mm-hmm. questions in one. So, okay. So for churches, I think I, I want to just give an example of something my small group is doing well. Um, for one, open small groups to everyone. Um, I would say for the most part, don't categorize people. You know, this is the small group for uh, marrieds with children. This is the small group for 22 to 25. Um, because I, I, th- I really think as a church, we're meant to do life with and learn from people of all different, pl- who are in, in different places. So I would say that's something my small group does really well. Um, I would say, ask, ask single people about things that maybe you could learn from them. Mm. Um, maybe frame your questions a little bit differently. You know, don't, you know, don't have the first thing you ask them be like, are you seeing anyone <laughs> or is that hard? But like, you know, when you really engage them in conversation, just approach them with respect. Don't approach them as though you're someone in authority because um, oftentimes there'll be people who are the same age and one kind of almost mothers the other. And usually the single person does not like that. Um, yeah. So I would say also empower uh, single people for leadership. Like I was just talking with a friend yesterday and she's about to turn 41 and she's single. And she was just saying, you know, all the people in church leadership, it's like so-and-so and his wife are holding this event, like empower other people with their, with their gifts to, um, to serve the church in, um, like public, you know, yeah. public places. As if marriage is a qualification for ministry, right? Show me that in scripture. Right. It's not there. It's not there anywhere. Nope. Anywhere. So nope. yeah, one, one thought that came up to me as you were, as you were thinking or talking, uh, was Ephesians five, which is, you know, it talks about relationships, but the verse that kind of governs that whole passage is verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? And that applies not just to marriages, that applies not just to church people, right? That's that's for everybody. So no matter where you are, whether whatever marital status, think about that. And that that's I think speaks to going, like you said, your maybe your small groups should not be all age stage pro, you know, based, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I actually think that that might is quickly becoming my favorite Bible verse. Once once you start to uh, realize the vast implications of of submit yourself to one another, um, that's kind of a lot. So, uh, I, that's really good. Did you have any advice for people in the in the same situation? What have you found? Hmm. I would say find a few close friends who are in the same place that are really pursuing the Lord uh, that you, who will walk through it with you. Like I have two really close girlfriends and we encourage each other. We build each other up. We remind each other of the truth. We don't, we have our moments where we sit around and sulk, but that's not the trajectory of our friendship. So I would say um, that's, that's really, really important because you'll find that, you know, when you're single and you have that community, it's very different than being single and alone. Like, you know, like I was in Russia. So we're supposed to, we're meant to live in community. And I, I am so thankful for my friends and walking through things with them. I would say like, I mean, this is, this is going to sound super cliche, but like, uh, don't, don't wait to live your life. Mm. Like do 
do the things like I've, I've heard some people, you know, like, oh, well, I don't want to do ministry unless I'm doing it with a spouse. And I'm like, if I had, if I had let that define me, I wouldn't have done most of the things that right. I, I did in my twenties. And I would really have regretted that. So I'm glad I went to Russia and did that, even though I wasn't going with someone, you know, I'm glad that I, I went to Georgia to teach, even though it was difficult because of what came of it. So I would say, yeah, like whatever God's put on your heart, um, I would say, go for it. And then I would also say, don't take people's advice with a grain of salt because everyone's situation is different. There will be people who think you're too picky. Um, yeah. There will be people who recommend that you stay in a relationship because they can't see inside of it and they want you to be happy, but in their mind, being you should be happy with this person. So I would say trust, like as a believer, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. And if you're praying for wisdom about a relationship or about dating, he's going to give you wisdom and don't, don't doubt that. So make sure that the voices you're listening to are wise voices and don't, don't take every, every believer's opinion as law. Yes. Let me tell you the pain of being in a bad marriage is way worse than being single, right? Just, just know that. So yeah, absolutely. Be patient and you don't have to take everybody's advice. In fact, people, Sometimes people should not give as much advice as maybe they do, but that that's really good. I I appreciate your perspective on that. So, would you say, because so, I I know just from listening to your show and from from your your podcast, uh, it sounds like this is kind of one of the great defining struggles for you at at this point. Yeah, definitely, it, it definitely is, and you know I've. I'm pretty honest about that because it it's hard when you see you see others trying to kind of like tie everything up in a nice little bow like oh and then there was this moment that I became content and that's just hasn't been my experience or my friend's experience. So yeah, I would I would say that it is um and I would say that there are weeks and months that I do better than others, but I always come like God always shows me his love and his goodness. And he always, um, when I'm struggling, will give me perspective. Um, so I, I would say, you know, even, even if this is my defining struggle, I'm going to see God's goodness in it. Yeah, which I think is the right and Christian thing to do, right? I think that's the way to, to follow the Lord. So I, I really admire that, which is one reason I wanted to, I wanted to hear some of that story. Um, I love that. Okay, so your podcast, which, by the way, I just have to say, Hope, I really love your title, Hope Unyielding, because it's a great play on your name, uh, but also it is a really good promise about what you're offering in the show. So uh, tell us, I know you said you started it because you're, you know, you're looking to build a platform, which is fantastic. Podcasting is great for that. I'm a big believer, um, as you might imagine. But that's, uh, so tell us about kind of what you wanted to offer in the show and what you're, what you're going for with, with your guests and everything. So I want to primarily offer real stories where there's real struggle, but God's faithfulness shines through. I don't necessarily want something that's tied up in a bow. I found that the things that give me the most hope are those where things are messy. Um, but the light of God shines through. So like, I'll just give an example. I just had um, a lovely woman named um, Katie on who struggles with bipolar disorder. And this is a struggle in her life. It wasn't, God helped me with bipolar disorder one day. I'm perfect. Now I'm living my life. It is, this is how I've seen God's faithfulness as I walk through this. And this is how I've seen my, his faithfulness through the way my husband loves me. Um, through the way that God protected me in this situation. So that's what I'm looking to offer people is real gritty stories. Um, Because I I think there's a lot of, again, like we live in a culture where we want to watch a movie and have the ending. (laughs) Um, We, uh, some of my favorite literature is (laughs) classic Russian literature. It's really long and things aren't neatly tied up and you see the ugliness of humanity. 
and that brings me way closer to God than, you know, a hall, like a Christian Hallmark movie. Oh man. Okay. So I interviewed a guy who was a pastor of a church here in Denver early on. And that was like, you know how you get those guests sometimes you're like, I can't believe this person's going to be my guest. He was one of those guys. Yeah. And, uh, he said to me, his name is Mike Sayers. And he said to me, great art can save a nation. Right. And he was specifically Mm -hmm. referring to those Russian writers. Right. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's so good. But it, every time so somebody mentions Dostoevsky or whoever, like, I'm like, oh, I love it. Like, that's just, yeah, Dostoevsky is my favorite. <laughs> I, I have to confess, I have not tackled any of the other books. I've read Crime and Punishment, which I thought was brilliant. It was amazing. But mm-hmm. I haven't tackled mm-hmm. any of the others uh, from him or uh, who's the other guy? Tolstoy. 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 I was going to say yeah. Tchaikovsky, but that's the composer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I haven't tackled that. But have you read all those? Um, yeah, most oh, of them. Man. My favorite is The Brothers Karamazov. Really? And that's the one where he deals with the issue of suffering and the goodness of God in oh. the best way I've ever seen it dealt with in my life. All right, friends, I'm going to put a link to Brothers K in the show notes and you should go get it. And if you please do, if you read it, just good on you for number one. Number two, let me know because... <laughs> Maybe maybe I should maybe I should pick it up. I don't know. Uh-huh. I have it. I have it. It's up here, but uh, I have not okay. tackled it yet. So that's good. Awesome. Well, hope I think that's fantastic. People can find you. The website is Hope Unyielding, right? Yes, hopeunyielding.com. And there's a link to my podcast there, or you can uh, search my pod for my podcast on like Apple. Yeah podcast or anywhere anywhere you get your podcasts hope unyielding by the way friends if you're not already subscribed to podcast magazine we did a review of of uh hopes was that the october issue i think yeah yes issue. yes so, very good definitely in there um so check that out uh all right hope i'm really encouraged by all the ways that uh you can kind of walk through all this and share with us thank you for doing that is there anything you want to leave us with I would just say, and this is this is one thing that I've I've learned is that faith and feelings are not synonyms, and that if you're struggling with depression or if you're struggling with an unfulfilled desire, and you don't feel your faith um, and you don't feel God's love in that moment, it doesn't mean it's untrue, and to just keep holding on to the truth, keep reading Scripture. Um, and trust that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen, amen. Hope, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks so much, Eric.